Hey guys, it is Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. No, summer is pretty much done and over, and they snow fall will be here, and the cool temperatures will be here as well. So get it over to Leon Tailoring. They can keep you nice and warm without burning a hole in your pocket. So maybe a little bit of a heavier jacket, or maybe a nice long sleeve shirt, or for ladies, maybe a nice heavier blouse, or heavier skirt, or dress. No matter what it is, you can get over at Leon Tailoring. Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy, they'll take care of you like they've been taking care of me. Almost 20 years since I've been here in Indianapolis, they've been here longer than 100 years. So swing up by Leon Tailoring and tell them Dual Sincha, Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware and downtown Indianapolis. This side of the table gets to ask a question. Uh, I wanted to know, you mentioned my case and its popularity uh, with people. Um, we can get, I'm thinking more just for our purposes, we can obviously get some documents directly from that website, Supreme Court documents, civil cases and stuff. Uh, but since we do, we report a lot on criminal courts also, and we're not able to access those documents remotely. Um, I wondered if there had ever been conversations about... Uh, There's some documents you can get off the CCS. Well, it, but for... That's true. Some. Yeah. Some. Yeah. For most criminal, I guess what, what we generally look for are probable cause affidavits and stuff like that. We can't get those uh, remotely. We have to down to the clerk's office, you know, whatever, and get that. I wonder if there's ever been conversations about, you know, allowing even media access to that or even general public access to some of those. The, the issue that came up, because I chaired that committee where we talked about what was in it, and we actually had Steve um, Geese from Hoosier, he was on the committee. The probable cause affidavits were getting right, were on, and then people were finding them before the person was arrested on that. So we were we had to look at the timing. But I think that's something that we can look at. We can look at because I mean, it, you it's can't same thing that we would it's really just the having to go down there and get it first. I understand. You know, because it's a, I mean we're still accessing Odyssey via the clerk's computer getting those documents like that and just we have to download them and send them to ourselves or whatever versus just being able to do it. You know, it's like one. We, have to, we can only do it at this computer. We just can't. Yeah, I think that's legitimate. I think that's. I mean, I think the the concern was that it was hitting the media before it was hitting, particularly with like search warrants. <laughs> if you have search warrant for a house and you have the search warrant on there, and then it will not be there when we get there. Um, but I think looking at that, and plus, you know, case by case on the PC affidavits, quite often it might be a child molest. It would be some pretty personal information. So what we decided to do, and maybe maybe what we'll do is do an update. Okay, now we've had this, we've had these things, you know, what's working, what's not working, and we'll have a we'll have a member of the media. Are you volunteering to be on that panel? Okay. Um, well I mean it, we'll have we'll have because we want your voice on that. So yeah. tell us what's we we would really like to see this. I don't know how we do it on a case by case basis to protect there's some really personal information on some of those. Um, I guess what I would say to that is the documents that even that we're getting from the clerk's office have already been redacted. Or, you know, and so. But if you, you know, get it right off, if you get it right off the, if, who's redacting it at the clerk's office? I believe, you know, I don't exactly know, but the publicly available documents we get is generally already uh, redacted. Not that we we'll look into that. So essentially, it's just it's just finding out the best system to what is technically available to the public, yes. but only in a in this limited way. Right. So you can only get it at this one place in this one 
basically just making that available on my case. Because we can access it. Because it's not, so, so it's not. So if I go on my case, I can click on the documents and open up quite a bit. But you want to be able to click on, on that. And sometimes, sometimes it's attached to a document itself. Sometimes the charges, the PC is attached to the charges. You can't even get the PC when it's attached to the charges? No, we can't. So okay. we can only access in civil, so for all civil cases, we can access basically all the documents, the Supreme Court cases, we can access Everything, yeah. Okay. But criminal, you know, trial court cases, we cannot get those documents. Do me a favor. If you wouldn't mind sending to Catherine the list of the things that you feel it would be helpful to have, and then we'll look at that. Because some states, some states don't, you can't get any of this. I like, like if you went no. to Illinois, actually if you went to any of our surrounding states, you couldn't get anything. Yeah. Um, and we've had this system in place, and we've changed, we've tweaked it slightly for four or five, four years now. So maybe it's time to, I mean, that's what we, that's what we do. And, and we're up to 100%, right? Yeah. 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 There's a couple of city and town courts. I think there's three or four city and town courts. Some of those are kind of going by the wayside, so you hate to get them to spend all the money. But we did get, we got some st stable tech funding last year from the legislature. It used to be, we'd dip up and down. And I'll say, Mike, I've worked in other states, particularly Michigan, and each court has its own website. Some you can have access, yeah. some you can't. I mean, my case is by far, I think, yeah. uh, one of the most simplified, easy access cases that I've seen yeah. ever. So, yes. yes, and if, if I can't get it, and I don't have to run down to the CCB yep. or to yep. the Justice Center, then I'm usually calling, or Right. And they get it. Yeah, yeah, Good. So, yes. Good. Yeah. It depends on some prosecutor's offices or yes. It's And the group that we have, the group that we have, we have a prosecutor and a public defender. We had the here folk uh, was on it from the ACLU. We had, we had a pretty robust group, and um, we'll look at that. Uh, I mean, just a wealth of information too. I think you told I was a conference where you told the story that you found out your son. son yeah, I looked up all my kids. Yeah, <laughs> so Jake, did you get a speeding ticket? No, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, you know what's interesting? Think about for consumer protection. I mean, um, India, like. Um, John Larimore said that, you know, if you want to use a contractor, you can go and see if that contractor's being sued all the time. I mean, I think that, I think that level of transparency. Again, um, people, oh, we can't possibly put the court records on. Yeah, we did, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Any other questions? Yeah. Leslie, did you have a question? I want to leave anybody out. I'm sure you do, yeah. <laughs> Don't, one, I can't talk about an open case, but I, I can I can tell you about the procedure. I, the, I can tell you about the procedure. So if if we don't, the Indiana Supreme Court doesn't go out and investigate, do an investigation. We have a disciplinary commission. We, we have attorneys, non-attorneys. We have a pretty robust group that work with the disciplinary commission that look at, look at that, decide what charges to file. If there is a conditional agreement, a conditional agreement means an affidavit's been filed, 
and it says it, um, then it gets sent to us for approval or disapproval after a myriad of work that goes up to that point. So if something happens afterwards, it goes, would go back to the disciplinary commission to determine if something new had to be done. So I can't talk about a new, I cannot talk about a case, um, even a case that's passed, but I can't, I can't answer any questions with regard to the procedure that we have. But even if it's a closed case, I you know I I cannot speak to cases. So, but I can speak to procedure. And the procedure would be if there were any new actions, it would come to the court through the um, to the disciplinary commission. It, I always remember, like when I was a trial court judge, they say, "Well, you guys are if you didn't do this." I said, "We don't bring the cases to us. The cases come to us. We decide the cases. We give the reasons why we decide the cases. And if something happens, um, and if there would be another report filed, then it would go through the process." And people have to understand there is a process as opposed to willy-nilly picking out this and that. Let, let me ask a procedural question then. Um, so in a normal Supreme Court case, you issue a, a, an opinion, we actually have this issue with the abortion one. Um, there's a petition for rehearing that the, the side can't do it, either side can do it. Right. It, does the same sort of system apply in a, in a disciplinary case like this where an agreement is brought to the Supreme Court for approval or not? Can a there, I have not seen, a, I've never seen a process where if there's a settlement, now if you have, let's say you have a hearing officer appointed, because that, if you don't have a settlement, a hearing officer will get appointed, they will have it, um, such as the previous Attorney General, there's Myra Selby was, Judge, uh, former Justice Selby was hearing officer, they give us recommendations um, after hearing the testimony and then we decide it. There's not, when it's an agreement, there's not sort of a, a rehearing okay. process. Right. Uh, you're coming up on the end of your second five-year term as Chief Justice, or you, you have any contemplated whether you're going to continue in this role, or? You guys are a tough bunch today. <laughs> you're a tough bunch. The, you know, I just started my tenth year, um, and you know, I, I'm you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at all that. I'm looking at all that. I still have a year. Um, or the best part of a year. We have, I, I chair the Marion County Judicial Selection. We're going to be doing two. I'm working on my state of the judiciary. Um, I just got back from actually representing the United States at Argentina two weeks ago. <laughs> we flew to Argentina for three days over a weekend, which have any of you been to Buenos Aires? Gorgeous. Um, but it was interesting because I sat with chief justices from around the world, and I love to talk and interact with them with what they are seeing on, with what does the rule of law look like, all the ones that have corruption courts um, going on. And then I kind of bring this back to the United States. So, I mean, I, I really I consider it an honor of a lifetime to be chief justice. I still walk in this building every day. <laughs> I can't believe. My mom was with me when I was applying to be on the court, and she'd go, oh, Loretta, like, it's not going to happen. And she died a week before I got appointed to the court. So I still consider myself um, fortunate. I, I love the direction the Indiana Judiciary is going. I love the fact that we're working on the behavioral health. We've got wonderful stories to tell at the um, State of the Judiciary this year, Mental Health Summit, when we ask our judges to bring a team, because we've got to do better. We've got 70% of the people in jail that have substance abuse or mental health issue. Every county shows up. So, I mean, the, we've tripled the amount of problems on the court. So that makes me happy. But it's a, it's a pace, I'll tell you. It's a pace. <laughs> so I, I, I can't guarantee anything on that. What's, what sort of, what are you taking into consideration as you? 
Well, I've got really talented colleagues um, on that, and sometimes, you know, the bloom can be off the rose, um, so to speak. You want to make sure that you're still being effective. It's, a, it's an extremely important job. I would never last the 25 years. Um, Randy Shepard lasted. He was the most, I was most nervous about showing him this table, just you know, and he loved it because um, he, he he likes the, the history. So I mean, I'm weighing all that. I'm weighing all that out. But it is it is you do you know you write the opinions and then you have the administrative on top of it. And there's a question about uh, small claims court, particularly here uh, in America. I remember a few years ago, uh, it used to be that if you were a landlord, you could file anywhere, right. where the defendant was and where the uh, property was. You both changed that. Uh, is the Supreme Court looking at any other possible changes to the way Marion County does its small claims court? I think that was legislative. I think that was the, I think that was the legislature made those changes. I mean, I think the Marion County, they have such a high volume. I think they should be trial courts. I think they should be absorbed into the trial court system. They, we already invite, they're part of the judicial conference. They are bound by our rules of ethics. We provide their technology. Um, I, think, I think that would uh, be beneficial. Bob, Chief Judge Altice is um, sort of liaison. We work with them regularly. I do. I think the local JRAC, the Justice Reinvestment Advisory Council, where you have all the players in your community at the table and you're required by legislature to do that, you take an issue, whether it's juvenile justice, mental health substance abuse, what do you have in your community, what do you need in your community? There's a beautiful example, there are beautiful examples all over the state, but Floyd County decided they left the mental health summit just on fire. So they're working with their sheriff, they got some of the opioid settlement money, they hired somebody that's right at their jail um, to work at diversion. Um, so I think you're gonna see a lot on the mental health. And the, whether, I call it behavioral health, which is mental health, substance abuse, and co-occurring disorders. We have too many people that are just arrested and come to court, arrested and come to court, go to jail, arrested, and um, it's not the best thing for them. And it's taking up jail space, it's making them worse. Um, so the more we can work within our communities on the diversion, it's better. But now we have some tools with regard to best practices, what, what is working. I love 988. And you know, I would I would love to see permanent funding for 988. So when you see a crisis going on, you've got a crisis intervention team being there, as opposed to handcuffs um, and incarceration. Do you think the you think a lot of that has happened since deinstitutionalization? Yeah, yes. right. I mean, I think the justice system has become the de facto. Do you know what the primary referral source to get somebody substance abuse treatment is? The criminal justice system. And that's that. So what are the thing, one of the things we yes, other than self, I chair the National Judicial Opioid Summit, and so I spent a lot of time on this. And when I met Dr. Adams was wonderful working with me, and that's that's a SAMHSA statistic. So I had so many parents with their kid, they'd come to court. I couldn't wait for my kid to get arrested so I could get my child some help. And I mean, I think that's I think that's problematic. And one of the things is training our judges on, you know, there's you know what works for somebody who's addicted to um, opioids, um, what is medication-assisted treatment. Um, and so we have trained all of our judges. We had a we have mandatory training on substance abuse, what works for children, pregnant women, um, 
best practices. We had extensive training on mental health um, because you can't ignore it. Um, you've got, we have judges, you know, doling out dispositional recommendations for people to try to get their lives back in order, but if they're not trained on what's working. So I think it's a mind, a shift. I mean, I think for a long time, like 40 years ago, um, you were just, you, the judge would just decide the case and get out the door, right? Get out, and now we're saying, we are players in our community. I tell judges, you've got a superpower. You would call a meeting, people come. And if you think there's something you can do to divert, use that. I'm seeing really, we've got a third of our judiciary is new. They're energetic. They really want to be part of the solutions because that revolving door of seeing the same person in crisis come through your court. And then when you're, for a while, you see, you start seeing you come from here, you, you come in the child welfare system, then the delinquency system, then you're a parent in the system, then you're, you know, we see the same people a lot. And at what point can we make sure there are resources in our community to divert, to divert them? And you know, during the opioid you know, epidemic, we have so many grandparents raising their grandkids. Do we have supports? In, and should it, it shouldn't become an act of Congress to get that guardianship. So the other really good um, thing that we've done is legalhelp.org. So if you know someone that's got a legal issue, you go on that at 350,000 hits last year. We've got forms for guardianship. All, all types of other. But those are the things, those are the exhausting things, Tom, just trying to think of what can we do um, with regard to making ourselves more um, consumer friendly. But I do think, like I'm, I'm on the, and Justice Goff, we're both on the uh, Lieutenant Governor's Task Force on Mental Health with working uh, you know, across the field on that. We're, we've got medical legal partnerships where we're putting attorneys are actually in medical centers. So if somebody has, they may be more likely to go see a doctor than see a lawyer, but they've got six unmet legal, uh, legal, civil legal aid issues that are keeping them homeless or without getting their veterans benefit. So it's, um, there's a lot of things that are working, but I think it's a really interesting time in the judiciary with regard to how can we make it better within our within our communities, with what we see. I, I always say that courtrooms are the government emergency rooms. If you want to see societal ills break down, then just bring those cameras on in and we'll show you. You just mentioned um, judicial turnover. A third of the judiciary is fairly young. Um, we talked a year ago about trying to get judges being worried about their mental health. Right. Um, and trying to get them more support through senior judges, you know, just even taking a day. Um, so over the last year, or do you think there's been progress in that, or are you still not Yeah, I mean, I, what I'm hearing from the judges, it's really tough in those courtrooms. I mean, where you, have, you, have, you have somebody just come to your courtroom and just chew you out. Like, no, you sit down, you know, go throw some water on your face and go. So I think it's still challenging. I think the judges are taxed. I um, assign a lot of senior judge days, and then I add those senior judge days. We have programming on wellness. JLAP is, I just hired two new people. We're, we're, expanding people with regard to working on our judges, lawyers, assistance program to be there to help. Uh, but, I, but I think it's hard. I mean, I think it's, I think being a judge can be isolating. Um, it can be hard. And for our trial court judges, like I have four colleagues I can run things past. As a trial court judge, you've got to make that decision split second, and then that next case comes in the door. I think it's rough. So we're aware of that. Any other questions? We have a no, question so. about, um, so in the, this, um, you mentioned uh, in here the Indiana in-jail um, pilot project, so I was right. kind of curious about any updates or feedback you Yeah, it's, it's up and going in Martin County. It'll be in Grant County, I think, in a couple of months. Um, it is the biggest project we've ever taken on. Um, so uh, the Sheriff's Association has been great. 
but the amount of data that we can have with regard to um, who's in jail. What were the things we just, I had a meeting this morning on that. What were the two kinks that were causing a lot of issues? But once we get that done, I mean, it's going to be, it's like Odyssey took a lot of years. I mean, once we get this done, I mean, I, I really think our technology is the best in the nation right now. Yeah, you know, when somebody gets arrested, making sure the VA is immediately aware of that so those benefits can kick in um, and looking at diversions. And I think last year was like 70, we made 76 different connections between a veteran being arrested um, and looking at getting them to veterans courts with veteran benefits. So it's getting, you know, building the systems where the systems can talk to each other. But we will, in the next couple of months, I think have a fully going in um, three counties. The first couple of counties are the hardest ones. Um, to get going, but it was the legislature funded us. We got, we also were getting grant money, um, and it's a, just a manpower issue getting everything done and getting the tech consultants in. But we're committed to it. Will there be a public facing uh, part of that similar to Odyssey? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, we, we, I guess for our purpose, you know, we include mugshots. I don't know. Is it? Is there a public facing? Yeah. Most of our things, most of our inside applications are public facing. Um, so, I don't know. I'm going to be at the federal court building in two minutes. Well, thank you all. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.